Good Enough Mother podcast. I'm your host, Sophie, a sociologist and a mother, and my mission is to change how motherhood is culturally defined and individually experienced. I want women who are mothers to feel supported, empowered, held, revered, and respected. I have discussions here with experts and changemakers who want to expand the conversation that we're having about motherhood. Welcome to episode number 57 of the podcast, Embracing Our Maternal and Professional Expertise. To read out the latest of the podcast reviews that I am so grateful for, thank you. This is from number one Mount Isa fan saying, I adore this podcast. Each episode is jam-packed with thoughtful conversation, commentary and wisdom. Easily the top of my podcast list. I loved the episode on maternal ambivalence. I can honestly say I've never heard a better explanation of what maternal ambivalence actually is and the power of it. Thank you for your unique talent in breaking down concepts that can feel a bit out of reach into such relatable explanations. I really appreciate that feedback and it's really hard sometimes to talk about things that are so theoretical and conceptual and bring them back down to our individual experience in mothering and I know that I certainly will not always hit the mark with that but I am really grateful to hear that it does connect and resonate with some of you and that these conversations and these theories from the academic realm and from a research perspective and from the theoretical perspective can actually be tangibly spoken about as part of our lived experience as mothers and as people who support mothers. Which brings me actually to introducing you to the guest on the podcast today, Emily Adler-Mosqueda, who is a bilingual and bicultural paediatric speech language pathologist. She's also an associate clinical professor and a mum of two. She holds state and national certifications and she began her career in 2009, but since experiencing postpartum depression late in her second postpartum, Emily has become an advocate for the postpartum time and she teaches about parental mental health factors to her graduate speech language pathology students. She's created an Instagram account at postpartum365 where she shares peer-reviewed research on postpartum topics, so go along and give her a follow, and motherhood studies topics in an effort to shift the cultural understanding of how long the postpartum time is and how to centralize mothers in their experience of mothering and of motherhood. She's also the author of the free children's book, My Big Feelings and the Big Bad Virus, available at mybigfeelings.com in English and Spanish. You can connect with her on her Instagram at emily.adler.mosqueda in the show notes and uh, read some of her writing at her website too, which will I link in the show notes. And I've named this episode Embracing Our Maternal and Professional Expertise and popped and professional in brackets because I do want to platform and emphasize maternal expertise here because I think so often we don't see the mother as expert in our society and culture. And that's something that I would really like to see shift and change, not to replace the role of expertise more broadly, but to actually sit alongside that. And I hope that in this conversation, you can hear the ways that we bring together and come to a meeting point of how to meld and build a relationship between 
mothers and maternal expertise and expert knowledge that we develop through the course of caretaking of our children, as well as professional expertise, which of course we need and serves its place. And so both Emily and I really shift in our positioning interchangeably in this conversation where we speak as both mothers of our daughters as professionals who study motherhood and are interested in mothering, as professionals who support others to support mothers, as well as professionals who support others to support mothers who are also mothers, just to add some complexity in there. So really thinking about the way that we can really shift how we relate to a concept or view a conversation by trying on different lenses and different perspectives and thinking about how we can actually bring together some of these different perspectives to come to a meeting point of how we can really enrich our experience, not only of supporting mothers, but of our experience of being mothers ourselves and in how we can best support our children, uh, particularly when navigating that path of either a diagnosis for our child or bringing in additional supports or resources. And that challenge that we can face in being the one who is responsible for the care of our children solely sometimes. That is a big responsibility. It can feel like a burden sometimes. It is also a power and a privilege. And so really breaking down those dichotomies that we can so often confront in motherhood and to speak to the ways that actually our experience in becoming mothers and through our own matrescence and our journey into motherhood, how that can actually enrich and add to our professional experience and knowledge and expertise and skill set, which really sort of challenges the dominant narrative of becoming a mother as being a taking away or a stepping down from an aspect of our career. So it's it's a laid uh, conversation and I really hope you enjoy it. So I wondered if you may begin by just sharing with our listeners a little bit of, about yourself. Yeah. Hi, Sophie. I am a speech language pathologist by training. I've been doing that for about 12 years and I'd say for almost five years of it, I didn't have children. I was never one to babysit and I was honestly surprised in graduate school when it was working with the children in that clinical rotation that I lit up and was excited and was having so much fun and realized I could, I could do this for my job. Like I could be paid to play because I thought I wanted to do medical and work with adults. So actually working with children therapeutically has, was, was my child interaction experiences before becoming a mother. And I can see now that influenced how I play with my children. And I think very clinically about, uh, about my interactions with kids. So yeah, I, I enjoy working with children therapeutically. And yet when I was became a mother the second time and had then two children, I was finding it challenging to, to play all the roles, keep all the plates spinning, as I put it. And by about nine months postpartum, I needed, I needed to not work with children. The fact that the children I was working with were similar age to my own children was, was too much for me. So for the past three years, I have been a clinical supervisor and I'm an associate professor. And so I have supervised students prior to, to, to doing it now, kind of as my, what I do all the time. And I really like teaching. I really like getting to work with students 
in their formative training and as the director of the Young Child Center for our university clinic, I'm really excited to, to bring in my experiences as a mother that I didn't have when I was a clinician, that I didn't have in my training, that, that my professors didn't point out to me were relevant nuances that being able to hold a personal experience of, of a mother and mothering and the profession. So I feel like I'm getting to offer my students both the clinical, theoretical, you know, the capital E expertise that they're cultivating, and then they will have life experience potentially as becoming mothers themselves or a parent. It's a very female dominated profession historically. And to be able to, to give them a heads up about some realities of motherhood and mothering, and also how they will be working. When you work with a child, you inherently work with a caring adult maybe a mother, maybe a father, maybe an aunt, maybe a grandmother, but the child is never alone. They're in a dyad. So to be curious, who, who is attached, who is associated with that child and in different environments they work in because the work in the child lives in. All those individuals are relevant and important because they're also not only communication partners for them and models, but they also have their own life experiences that they're offering that child. So it's been really lovely to have my, I, I, my parents live in town and have our former teachers. And so it's been neat to see how they get to be unique communication partners for my, for my daughters and things like that. So it's, um, I really, I really value that in a way that I didn't not being a mother. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that part of your journey. And I really hear the interweaving of your role as a mom and as a professional and as somebody who is supporting other professionals in this area. And I'm curious, you know, you use the term communication partner there. And I'm curious for mums listening who uh, are in a position and it may look, it may be quite relevant in terms of their thinking about their speech and language development of their children. It may be in another area of their child's development that they may have some concerns about, or they're on a process and a path to seeking a diagnosis for their child in some way, pulling in additional supports and therapies where they see is appropriate. And I'm really curious about that, that experience. And, and my PhD was in this area of looking at mums who have children with additional needs uh, and disabilities and thinking about how mothers cultivate and draw on and develop a particular skill set, a particular mm-hmm. way of thinking and a particular knowledge that is very specific to their child. Um, and we've spoken about this a little bit before when Emily and I were talking before the podcast around the different types of expertise that exist. And you referred to there, you know, the, the capital E expert of the person who has gone out and got their degrees and, and developed and built a specific knowledge set and skill set for a specific context or, or challenge that they can come in to support a child or, or a parent with. Uh, but then there is also the, you know, the lowercase e expert of the mother expert and the maternal knowledge and thinking of the mother that is so often, I think, culturally more broadly not recognized or seen or even respected as a way of knowing that we actually have a particular knowledge and skill set as mothers or as primary caregivers when we are caring for our children and in relationship with them you know it's not even just the caring practice it's being in relationship with them and so I'm curious as to how your experience as a mother in developing 
that skill set yourself as a mother in developing your own practice of maternal thinking with your children, how that has informed your practice as a professional and how you support other professionals. How do these two actually meld together? Because I'm also curious here, not to load you with too many questions at once, but when we transition from you know, non-mother to mother and we've been immersed in a professional context, it can so often be framed as like a stepping away or as a de-skilling or as an opting out or as I have mummy brain now, you know, I can't think clearly. I don't remember things as quickly as I did. I feel overloaded and overwhelmed. And so there can be this association between stepping into the mother role as stepping away in some way or stepping down from uh, professional growth. But what I'm kind of hearing you say is actually stepping into the mothering role was part of an enriching of your professional experience. How, how would you speak to that? Yeah, I would say that with my first daughter, I was very innocently proud to be a perfect mother and be ticking off the pieces of what I now know as our elements and tenets of intensive mothering. And having one child, I, I, I could do it. I could get away with it per se. And, and with my, my expertise training knowledge of child development, I also felt very, Hey, I've, I've gone to school for this. I, 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 I literally was an expert. I also knew the best practice for, you know, language development, bilingual language development. My children are bilingual. And so I was holding myself to those public expert standards. And it was very easy to do. It was very natural to do. I assumed it just, you know, reinforced, well, this is so natural. Again, bringing in a second child, one's capacity is only so much. And so it was really with the, the gift of my second child to really awaken to, I overgeneralized a skill. Children do that when they're learning animal names. They learn the word dog and every four-legged thing is a dog. So I just, I began to have a lot of compassion for myself and looking at a younger mother version of myself um, to say, wow, I was so uh, motivated and excited to utilize that knowledge, maybe make up for the fact that I didn't have a lot of life experience knowledge with children. You know, I didn't do the babysitting and kind of caregiving um, as a young person. I wasn't even sure I wanted to have kids. I was kind of on the fence about it. So maybe that's why I was leaning into that capital E expertise. But it was really when I was seeing how I couldn't hold up that perfect mask or how I had overgeneralized that made me see the humanity of, of a good enough and, and also maybe the purposefulness of utilizing those evidence-based you know, quote unquote evidence, well, they are evidence-based, but evidence-based techniques in more judicious, short-term or time-specific, routine-specific interactions with the child versus all of the time. And so being a mother helped me then when I'm having, you know, modeling for my students, if we're going to do any home program for a family or they, you know, how will they continue to practice a skill that we're wanting to keep cultivating in a child is to really check in with the family and say, you know, how are things? How are you all doing? Would needing to think about this extra thing be possible? 
because if it's not possible in the adult in the adults bandwidth it's not going to happen and then they're going to feel guilty about it for not being the good student to our interaction and i i didn't i never liked to feel like i wasn't good enough so why would i set a parent up to inherently fail so i'm always really mindful to to check in with families and also just build relationship to to hear concerns to you know, if someone's having, you know, ask about sleep, how are they sleeping? How, how is a parent doing? Some families have been comfortable to disclose that you know, we're, we're dealing with postpartum depression. And I know from my own experience, that is not a short-term thing, that it has its own cycle. Some families are on a journey of trying different medications to manage it for one of the parents. Uh, may not be the parent that's at the sessions, but that other parent is also part of the family. So thinking about that and um, just trying to have things be functional and asking the parents, you know, when does, when does this something you want to practice? When, when, when does that feel like a good time? They know their daily life better than I ever could know. And so helping, helping that parent maybe see that, but also acknowledging their, their lowercase expertise and maybe even italicizing it, giving it, giving it the, the respect and the acknowledgement, particularly for children that are very impacted, have you know, multiple areas of development that are impacted by their likely neurological, genetic impairment, delay, and that, yes, they've had to, to, to play a role in their child's life, very unique to maybe other children that they have, have to be attending to very scary and stressful situations. And, and that is often not noticed and not acknowledged and yet so courageous and, and so scary and so much for a parent to, to experience not only once, but likely over and over again. And so I, I, I try to really see my parents that have that, italicized e expertise about their child because it's been a survival mechanism to ensure the survival of their child and sometimes that acknowledgement i can tell it hasn't been given often enough because of the way they respond to to receiving it or the 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 difficulty they have with receiving that that acknowledgement yeah and there's this challenge isn't there of as mothers we Adrian Rich's term powerless responsibility. I always think mm -hmm. of this the way that it speaks to these experiences of going, okay, I am the one in the driver's seat here. I'm the one who has responsibility over this human being that I've created that I am caring for. And that is so huge. And that is such a privilege. And that is such a sense of you know, power in terms of the relationship there and going, this is incredible, you know, that I am able to do this um, in my life and that this is, this is such a role that is both depleting and fulfilling at the same time. Yeah. And to know that it is a responsibility that is a privilege, but can also be experienced as a burden. It can also be experienced as an as too much, as something that we yearn to opt, yearn to opt out of, but we don't necessarily have the options to opt out of it. And so there's this sense of this kind of juxtaposition between choice and 
autonomy and lack of agency and lack of choice and this movement between moving forward and advocating for my child and being their voice and being the one to explore all the avenues and do all the research and gather all the knowledge and then also going actually I exist outside of my motherhood as well what about me what about any sense of agency or choice that I have over my life and it's complex, but I think we need to be able to break these binaries down and to be able to talk about both. And I'm hearing, you know, from what you're sharing there around your professional experience and context of validating and seeing and affirming and hearing and asking mothers and primary caregivers, you know, how are you? What do you think? I really see and acknowledge all that you are holding and carrying here. Um, how can I support you in doing that? That is that is so powerful. And in the interviews that I had with mums in my research, some of the closest and most powerful relationships that they built with professionals were the professionals and caregivers and teachers and educators who saw them in that way. And how do you think power operates in this, both in terms of our relationship with our children and the dynamics between professionals and mothers because there is that difference in how our society sees the, you know, the uppercase E expert who's gone out and done the knowledge and the degree and who is seen as being a specialist and the expertise of the mother and, and her experience, which is so often not recognised. How do you as a professional and or as a mother navigate these interactions in a way that feels empowering and creates ultimately the best opportunity for the greatest support for our children? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. And I think it's one that I, I grapple with regularly. I don't think I, I want to ever kind of be on cruise control with that because there's, I think there's always room for growth and learning. And I, 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 I love learning and, and looking at and reflecting on things. So I think so far in my professional and personal and just human development and evolution is I really, I really feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at empathizing and trying on perspectives, multiple perspectives at once and kind of judging and evaluating the risk risk analyses from solely a professional standpoint and then solely a parental standpoint. And then I mean, as a speech language pathologist, I'm all about communication. So then just talking about it, there's a lot of players involved, making sure all the players and stakeholders are at the table, that everybody has a chance to speak and share what their concerns are, what their fears are, what they're wanting and their hopes. And, and then kind of what would happen if we, if, we, if we acted and if we acted like A, B, and C, or if we didn't act and we did X, Y, Z instead. So I, I think particularly now in the in the role of supervisor that I have too I'm, I'm kind of removed from the kind of state service special education service provision um, format of practice that I, I, I have done you know, most of my tenure of, of professionally and so I'm, I'm positioned in an outside of a system that I'm very familiar with and so I also have that vantage point to to encourage parents to advocate and know their parent rights that are maybe not talked about enough. I know they're not talked about enough. 
And I have seen that to have parents be very uh, empowered to then speak to what they need. And, and I'm, you know, we might have a private conversation about that before a meeting. And then at the meeting of a, of a larger group, I'm seeing the parent really state their desires and state their needs. And thankfully in, in this particular meeting that I'm thinking of in my mind was very well received. A kind of, there was an about face of a, of a plan that had kind of gotten into motion because of the professionals and what they thought the child needed. And the parent was not wanting that. And the parent asserted herself and was able to pivot very successfully where things were going and, and is now seeing the benefits of the improvement in her child. So I think it's, it's really a case by case scenario, but it's, it's really this being able to be flexible and open to considering a perspective professionally that I haven't taken yet before and to hear and to take a perspective from a parent that of a situation I may not personally be familiar with of their life experience or uh, context of their socioeconomic you know, statuses. So I think being deliberate to take the time to look at as many angles as possible is worth the time. It's a kind of an upfront investment that I think everybody can afford. Yes. And what really struck me there as you were speaking was kind of the word curiosity, I suppose, for me going, let's be more curious, both as professionals and as mothers, because I think it it applies to both, doesn't it? Um, I was speaking about this, as I mentioned in my membership last night, of going, okay, if we've got a particular challenge that we're perceiving in our child and there is something that they are struggling with, right, that we're trying to support them in. If there's something that we've noticed, and, and that may be through their own development, it may be through comparison uh, with our child and other children or between multiple children, if we, if we have multiple children. And then we go down the path of solution seeking and going, okay, mm-hmm. how can I best support my child? How can I best resource myself? And there was a quote that I heard recently that somebody else shared in a podcast from Einstein and I won't get it spot on, but it's something to the effect of, you know, if I have an hour to solve a problem, I'm going to spend 55 minutes figuring out exactly what the problem is and then five minutes solving it. So this sense of going, okay, if we can have curiosity as professionals to take a step back Mm -hmm. and to go, let me listen, let me create space to really hear and connect with you to understand you and allow that to, in, to then inform what I decide to share in terms of advice or how to strategize with you. And as mothers to be able to go, okay, let's take a step back and let's invite in some more curiosity here. What actually is the problem? What actually is the challenge? Is the challenge with my child or is the challenge with the child's context, with their environment? What's happening relationally? How am I embedded in this relationship And what can be a challenging question, because I've asked it of myself, is what do I get out of this struggle as well? Yes. Yeah, I've I've noticed in my own children, you know, as the pandemic goes on and things are always shifting, that I've, I've noticed myself kind of like, you know, kind of seeing different behaviors, like, oh, that's kind of different. That's new. And, and I'm, I'm a very curious person by nature. So I, I, I get on that. I'm, I really even get on that even more. I'm like, okay, so, and I've learned to think and look at myself 
you know, these children a lot of time mirrors of their environment. So maybe they're having this response and is it because they're having a response to me? Not that I wanna take on full responsibility, but I'm gonna definitely check in and see what is maybe something that I'm contributing or that is related to an interaction. Uh, seems to always happen with the interaction with me versus somebody else in the home. So, and doing it with very, with a lot of compassion and and again, just just pure curiosity without blame. And so I think I think that is the curiosity piece of something that I think hopefully more people, professional, you know, when they're wearing the professional hat or when they're home and they're they also happen to be a, a parent that they sustain that curiosity because I think we can sleuth out things that we wouldn't have otherwise noticed or put together. And if there isn't the charge of internal surveillance and judgment and in shaming and guilting, then it's this more objective, more data to collect, to put more dots together, to have more information. Thank you for raising that point around the intensive mothering really and the perfect mother myth to be able to say actually in order to cultivate a sense of curiosity in order to be able to look at this situation and my child's challenges and the challenges that I'm experiencing holistically and to be able to connect with a professional in a way that is going to be instructive and helpful and supportive if we are carrying around the weight of intensive mothering and the perfect mother myth and other people's judgments of us and expectations of us and that we're doubling down and placing them on ourselves as well. It's almost like it clouds our vision. Do you think in some ways, like it's it, almost as if we can't see. Right. We don't have that. We don't have the peripheral vision that we, we can, if we didn't have the shame blinders, <laughs> you know, that those really just hone in what we can see. And by taking that down and taking down our guard and taking down the, 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 the critiques of ourselves, which in my struggles and kind of the timing of why I needed to change professions and was, you know, yes, I think there was biological, biochemical, I was sleep deprived. I was eight months postpartum and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't keep it up anymore. And I also had a very critical inner critic, which I now know is how I kept myself in line. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I had to literally at times pretend that that was a real entity and a person outside of myself and check it verbally and, and yell at it and say, go away, give me some space and assert a, you know, a, a boundary of sorts to even have space to think for myself and to feed and to cultivate a sense of safety and thinking for myself, knowing that I wasn't going to be judged for it by the greater community at large, or at least I wasn't going to be judging myself. But I think curiosity can be a, an intimidating thing for people to do because I think what goes with curiosity is also radical honesty because you need to just objectively observe and sometimes what you observe in a moment about yourself isn't the most flattering thing and that's not always comfortable to engage with and be with and with practice I have found it to get easier and not that I would engage with that level of kind of exam self-examination with my clients, but I have definitely found it for myself um, as a mother to be, to enhance my understanding of a parent's hesitation to look at themselves or be able to have that greater perspective 
and understand and just have compassion that they're not there yet to be as radically honest with themselves or they don't have the capacity, you know, they're in a sense of a survival mode and, and they can't right now and just not yet. And, and that's okay. I want to meet them where they are and, and maybe I'll still be with them on their journey when they do get to that point. Maybe I won't be, but there's, there's definitely ways to support and, and uphold that person wherever they are in their journey individually and, you know, in with me as a professional. Yeah. And also it's about space, isn't it? So how much space do we have? And we, there's this dynamic that I'm just constantly wrestling with in this work between the individual and the society. So talking about some of the themes we've discussed here around, you know, radical honesty, around self-responsibility, around thinking about how we've internalized the perfect mother myth and what we can do to, untangle that and examine that and let go of some of the pressures that we've placed on ourselves and that we feel are placed on us. Thinking about all of the ways that we draw on our agency to support our children, to cultivate and create relationships with others. And and there's all of that. And then also in relationship with all of that are the broader context that, you know, we have been discussing and that I talk about more broadly on this podcast around the patriarchal institution of motherhood and the expectations that are placed on us that sometimes are, are, we can't escape right. and that we, we face regardless of how much kind of inner empowerment we can draw on within ourselves. And so I guess for anyone listening and following us through this kind of messy, complex conversation, which is so apt because that's reflective of what the actual experience is. And it would be much easier to be able to tie a little neat bow around it and say, here it is. Here are the steps. One, two, three, here are the three major themes. It's alluring to try and say that, but I think the complexity that we're speaking to here is an important representation and conversation to have, but to recognize that it's okay to sometimes make the choice to step back, to disengage, to disconnect other times it's about leaning in and stepping forward and act and actively pursuing something and we don't have to make the choices either or all the time we can change our mind we can move in relationships with professionals we can seek others opinions sometimes we can say i'm not thinking about this all at the moment i'm just going to spend the afternoon with myself and my family we don't have to always be carrying that mental load sometimes we can just minimize the tabs you know i was going to say across the tabs but we won't we can't cross them we're just going to minimize them to give us some little a bit of space a bit of space right right and i think that's one thing that i meant that i model for my students is kind of i'm reading the therapy situation and it's kind of turned more of needing to counsel and support the parent and and to help them have a moment of clarity or a moment of space that they wouldn't otherwise have. And if they can be afforded that in our quote unquote speech therapy session, I know because of the ecological you know, model of development, that if that parent has more clarity in their understanding of themselves, they will be able to show up better for their child. And so, you know, in my kind of debrief sessions with my students afterwards, I can speak to the obvious, well, we really didn't work on overt communication strategies. And I said, uh, you know, I bring that up and I said, that didn't happen. What happened is we were attending to the mental health of that adult and 
them getting to have an adult conversation, have it be about them and get maybe clearer or reminded about their why of why they are so invested and need to be invested in supporting their child and maybe be heard and seen for how hard it's been. That is rejuvenating to them and hopefully empowering to them and maybe even gave them a moment of respite mentally and emotionally to then show up for their child in a way because they've been resourced. So, so many parents are, and particularly parents who are, who are living with children with disabilities are under-resourced and any, any drops of it is like, you know, a, you know, water on a parched tongue. It matters and it does good. So I think there is more elements of counseling in my profession for young, you know, with young children than is maybe given credit. We have some training, but I think there should be encouraged to be more training on, on the whole because those relationships and it is just that that mental health piece is so relevant to that parent, even understanding what we're hoping to teach them or or enhance in what they're already doing with their child to then yield more of the outcomes that they want for their child. So it's, it's a, it's an, it's a piece of the therapeutic intervention. Yes. And I'm so grateful that you're doing the work that you are and speaking about this, you know, with professionals early on in their careers and in their training, the more conversations and the more meeting points we can have, the better really as professionals and as mothers in this space who are connecting with mothers because what what are we ultimately focused on you know we're ultimately focused on supporting our children and and giving them the support that they they need and that they deserve um, and allowing them to flourish and grow and I think it's a great reminder that you mentioned there around the focus on the mother and ourselves and what we're carrying because if we going back to the perfect mother myth and this whole motivation for this podcast being called the good enough mother. Ultimately, if we want to be focused on supporting our children to grow into the best version of who they can be and to live lives where they are flourishing and content and are safe and, and, and well as they can be, that involves thinking about how safe and well we are and can be as mothers you know it's not a sacrificing of self and an erasure of self in order to give you my child the best but it's about going well in order to give you the best i also need to be able to have support myself i also need to have my own needs met so that i can help support you in meeting your needs so bringing again like challenging and breaking down these dichotomies and binaries and going how can we be talking about about both right it's like if you you know supporting mothers by, by supporting mothers their children will flourish it's 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 an automatic assumption that if the mother is well the child is 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 well in the sense of versus if you did it the other way if you're just focusing on the child you're missing their whole their wholeness and and yeah, it's just that really the, 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 the metrocentric piece of what's needed for supports in the system needs will, will yield better outcomes. The outcomes that they're wanting um, will be even better when mothers are supported to the degree that they should be. Totally agree. And I think that's a beautiful way to finish. Thank you so much for this conversation. And I hope listeners can take a piece away from here to kind of sit with and reflect on a- around 
your relationship to systems, your relationship to healthcare professionals. If you are a healthcare professional thinking about the relationship that you have and can facilitate with clients and colleagues and how to really each in our individual little micro ways, push back and create changes within the broader system and institution of patriarchal motherhood in order to create some changes to best support mothers, which means supporting our children and communities. Thank you, Emily. Would you mind sharing with listeners where they can connect with you if they would like to chat with you further and learn more about what you do? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at emily.adler.mosqueda. I also have another profile called postpartum365 on Instagram where I talk about postpartum needs for parents because it's it's pretty much once you've had a child you are postpartum it doesn't end after a certain number of months or days i think it goes you know 365 as long as your child is your is your parenting i have a website the same with my name emily adler moskela.com thank you hope you've resonated with something from today's episode. If you're a mother who would like to take these conversations further, consider joining my private membership group, Liberated Motherhood. Or if you're somebody who works with mothers, then check out my Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification. You can find more details about these at my website and reach out and connect at drsophiebrock.com. 